Welcome back to the Vine Church Podcast. Today, we are continuing our sermon series, Seeing Jesus, exploring the first nine chapters of Luke's Gospel. If you haven't already, you can find us on YouTube at the Vine Church Heart, and we'd love to have you join us over there. So if you do turn with me to Luke 8, just notice what happens here. We'll start in verse 1 and read to verse 15. It says this, After this, Jesus traveled out from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him. And also were some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. Joanna, the wife of Cusa, the manager of Herod's household. Susanna and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. While a large crowd was gathering... People were coming to Jesus from town after town. There's this huge group here ready to hear this Jesus. He told this parable. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and it was trampled on, and the birds ate it up. Some fell on rocky ground, and when it came up, the plants withered because they had no no moisture. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and with it and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil. When it came up, it yielded a crop a hundred times more than was sown. When he said this, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. The disciples asked him what this parable meant. And he said, The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to others I speak in parables, so that though seeing, they may not see. Though hearing, they may not understand. This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. Those along the path are the ones who hear, and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so they may not believe and be saved. Those on rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in a time of testing, they fall away. The seed that fell among thorns and uh, stands for those who hear but as they go on their way, are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. But the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by preserving, produce a crop. The picture here is that there is a crowd who has come from every town with anticipation to hear this Jesus speak. It says a gathering from town to town after town, not just if one town came to hear someone speak, that would be a big crowd, but town after town is coming to hear this person. In Israel, there is a a buzz of anticipation. They've heard about this kingdom which is coming. There's deliverance coming from all their enemies. The kingdom of God is going to be realized. They've read Daniel. They know that it's any time now the Messiah is going to be turning up. The zealots in Israel, the ones who were fighting for Israel's freedom, would have loved to have this crowd, loved to have this opportunity, this influence, to have all these people come to them to hear what they have to say. They could simply say the word, and the Romans would be overthrown with this kind of power. And so how is Jesus going to make the most of this opportunity? How is Jesus going to make the most of having all these people willing to hear him and act on what he says? How is he going to make the most of the crowd that has come to him? He stands up and says, a farmer sowed some seeds, some grew, some didn't, and then leaves. 
He tells them this parable, which sometimes gets called the parable of the sower, but it's more accurate to call it the parable of the soils. Because the, the focus of the parable is the different kinds of soils which are affected by the sower sowing seeds. And obviously, having just done that in front of this crowd of people, you can imagine that his disciples were quite confused. I came and sat down, and my sister went, what is going on? The disciples were probably going, what is going on? Why have you done this? Why have you said this story? And so they come to him, as you would, and they say, what was that about? The disciples ask him what the parable meant. And Jesus replies with a verse that seems like it's designed to keep you up at night. If you ever can't sleep, just open up Luke 8, verse 10, and and try and work out what Jesus is saying. He says this, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God has been given to you. In other words, you can understand it. But to others, I speak in parables so that though seeing, they may not see. Though hearing, they may not understand. When I was preparing this sermon, it felt as though Jesus has kind of put a division in what would would otherwise be a very simple sermon. Here's the parable, here's the explanation. But he's decided to put this whomping great theological um, mountain in the middle where he says, oh, I tell parables so people won't see or hear. Thank you, Jesus. It's as though he's kind of put something in the middle which divides the two, and they seem like they're kind of off from each other. You know, I think the way that we often think about Jesus' parables is something along the lines of, Jesus tells little stories to help people understand, and so we should use little stories to help people understand. But Jesus is saying the complete opposite here. I speak in parables so that those who shouldn't don't understand, so that those who Uh, would see, don't see, so that those who would hear, don't hear. What do you mean, Jesus? But actually, as I got into this passage more, what I found is that this isn't a division. This isn't something that is separated from these two halves, from the parable and the explanation. This is Jesus showing that he completely believes this parable. It seems as though these two halves belong together and are not separated by this statement from Jesus, but are joined together. And we'll see how that happens in a minute, but let's just focus on what this verse says, verse 10. Jesus says that they're not supposed to see, they're not supposed to hear. There's a quote from Isaiah 6, where Isaiah is commissioned and he's, and he's in the throne room of God and he hears a voice say, who will go, who will speak for us? And Isaiah says, here I am, Lord, send me. What am I being sent to? And the Lord says, you are to go and speak so that their hearts become calloused, so that they become hard. You are to speak so that they may not hear, so they may not see. And Jesus is quoting that. There's this sense in which Jesus is saying through speaking in these parables, he's hardening those who would be listening. He's blinding them. He's deafening them them. How does that happen? What's going on here? A quote from Calvin, which I think just gets to the heart of it so well, says this, when a person of weak sight comes out into the sunshine, their eyes become even dimmer than before. And that defect is no way the fault of the sun, but their eyes. 
In like manner, when the, word of when the word of God blinds and hardens the reprobate, as this takes place through their own depravity, it belongs truly and naturally to themselves, but it is incidental as respects the word of God. It's the clarity of Jesus' message which blinds and deafens people because they don't want to hear what he has to say. They have come with an expectation. They have come ready to be stirred up by this great Messiah, and he is not willing to pander to what they want. He is willing to say a short story about a farmer who grows some crops and didn't grow others and then leaves. Jesus uses parables to draw his own. So let's look at the parable, at the explanation that he gives, and see how this is so connected, what he's just said is so connected to this parable. The first thing he says, verse 11, what an amazing verse. This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. So simple, so powerful. The seed is the word of God. The word of God is seed. And Jesus has his whole trust in it because he knows that the word, therefore, has power to bring life. God speaks through his word. The word of God is the seed. It's not dry or lifeless. It's not simply words on a page from an ancient book written thousands of years ago. It is the word of God is active and living. Hallelujah. In too many churches today, the Bible is treated as useful so long as it's having a very narrow function. It's useful so long as it's in the right hands. We tend to spend more time in evangelicalism today defending the Bible than we do actually teaching it. I love what Spurgeon said about the Bible. He likened it to a lion that's being kept in a cage, and someone is next to the lion saying, This lion is really powerful. It can do a lot of damage. And Spurgeon says, don't describe its power. Let it out of the cage and it will show its power. Don't simply defend the Bible. Teach it. Chew it. Read, over, read it again and again and again. Find God speaking to you in it. Because the word of God is seed. In Jesus' day, perhaps it was just nominal and traditional, but there was a real sense of the authority of the word. Synagogue services, a lot like modern church services, would have a portion of the scripture being read and then someone teaching it. It's what we see in Luke 4 when Jesus reads from Isaiah and then explains it. And the people would stand for the reading of the word. I was listening to one historian, a church historian, who was saying, I don't know how they know this, but he was saying that actually people would tend to drop out of the meeting once the word had been read. There was the sense in which the infallible word of God, the voice of God, that's the bit that I need to hear. The explanation might be helpful, but the word of God is what I need. I wonder, maybe we should think about that. Maybe we should stand when we hear the word of God read. I'm not saying from next week, if you're not standing, you're out. I'm not suggesting that at all. I'm just saying... Yes, it can seem like tradition, it can seem like a thing that just people do, but is that not a statement? That as God speaks to us, we stand in readiness to hear. It's a statement that when this is read, the living triune God of the universe is talking to us. 
He speaks to us in his word. And seed really is an excellent analogy for the word of God. Seeds are seemingly insignificant. They are tiny, and yet they have the ability to produce huge crops, huge life. Just this week, I was uh, walking through David and Anne's um, oilseed rape field, and it's now all been harvested. They did it a few weeks ago, and as I was feeling the crunch of these uh, now very, very short crops underneath my feet, I was thinking to myself, less than a year ago, this was about this big, and then they grew huge, and then they produced seeds of their own, and now they've been completely cut back, and then the same thing will happen again next year. These tiny crops, these, these tiny little seeds, grew into this field-filling flower. You can see a wasteland completely transformed by these tiny things which you wouldn't even notice. You see one field that has no seeds in it and one seed that's full of seeds, you wouldn't be able to see the difference. In a few months' time, one is transformed by life. But seeds also have the power to disrupt. There are two paths that I recently have no longer been able to walk along. One of them is just by a house. It provides a nice um, shortcut. And I tried walking it the other day and got to about halfway. And everything was so grown over that I just had to turn around and go back the long way. There's also a path that I often walk up at the top of Odium that I used to be able to walk alongside next to the road. Now I have to walk on the road. These seeds have disrupted what I used to be able to do. The Word of God has that same power to get in the individual's life and disrupt the path that we used to walk. The things that we used to think were appropriate, now we find the Word of God disrupting it and say, you cannot go this way anymore. You cannot come along the path that you used to. God's Word disrupts our practices, not just in an individual level, but at the level of society. We find things which used to be appropriate in human society, which used to dominate human society, and the Word of God has borne fruit, and now as a society we say, no, we cannot walk that path anymore. We may have forgotten that it was the Word of God that did the disrupting, but nonetheless it has disrupted. Seeds transform, they bring life, but they also disrupt and stop you from going somewhere you used to go. The other thing about the seeds is that all the information that a fully grown plant needs is in that tiny speck. Have you ever thought about that? When you see a giant oak tree, just think to yourself, all the DNA, all the genetic makeup in that giant thing can be found in an acorn. Nothing new is added to that acorn as it grows. It's all there. It simply grows and expands in the same way that all the transformation in a believer's life can be traced to the promises of God found in his word. Without the word of God, there is no Christian growth. Every leaf, every branch, every curl in an oak tree is already found in the acorn. This seed embeds into our life and grows. There is no area of character growth that is positive as a Christian that you can say, I got there without God's word. The issue is the seed. That is where the power lies. 
This is the meaning of the parable, says Jesus. The seed is the word of God. Why then the sower? Why then does someone need to come along and do it if there is so much power? Well, notice how little is said of the sower. It just says, a farmer went out to sow seed. That's all we're told about him. Is he redundant? No, without him, there is no sowing. God has appointed, God has appointed that his word would be scattered, that his word would be taught, that he would have preachers and teachers and evangelists. But they are not the main event. The sower is not the main event, which is why I say this should not be called the parable of the sower. And something sad that sometimes happens is that sometimes the power of the word is underemphasized and the order gets twisted. Now, the power is in the sower. The modern church growth movement, I think, would reverse the order of this parable. So you no longer have one seed and four types of soil. Instead, you have uh, four sowers and one type of soil. What kind of sower are you? Are you doing the best to get into that soil? Because that soil it will respond to the right person. If something goes wrong, it's because of you. What was that sower's method? Was he too inexperienced to be sowing? Was he not connecting with the soil enough? Was he too free? Once the power is taken from the word, it's placed on the sower. And once this emphasis is on the sower, there becomes an unbearable weight on us. Your method is what matters. Your word choice is what matters. If it isn't successful, it's your fault. If it is, if someone does come to know the Lord, the glory is yours. If the emphasis is on me, if it's on you, then we are burdened. And we must do anything and everything to pull people in because it's all about the sower. Next Sunday, a free iPad to everyone who comes to church. We could easily fill up a church building. Next Sunday, we're not going to consult God on how he wants to be worshipped. Instead, we're going to turn it over to you guys. How would you like to worship God? The power is not in the sower. The sower has but one job, sow seed. The power is not in your hands. The power is in the word of God. It's in the seed. And there is immense freedom in that truth. Freedom which can seem callous. It can seem uh, unloving. It can seem blunt. But it is freedom in confidence in the power of the word of God. Look at Jesus' blunt confidence. Look at the way he just sees a crowd, tells a story. The good soil are going to respond. Because the seed is the word of God. There's another quote which I think just gets to the heart of this. It is enough for us to bear this only in mind. The gospel does not fall like rain from the clouds but is brought by the hands of men wherever it is sent from above. God has appointed that there would be people who spread, but the power is not in them. The 
power is not in you, it's not in me. When you speak to someone who needs to hear the gospel, when you speak to yourself, the power is not in you, your word choices, how educated you are, how trained you are, how many evangelism courses you've been to, what method you use. The power is in the seed. So don't be afraid to fill your hands with seed and scatter it. The sower is best doing his job when he relinquishes his responsibility and his desire to do what only the seed can. Know your job. Know the seed's job. Finally, we come to that last element of this parable, the soils. Now, the topography of Israel, the way that farming worked, was very much dependent on, as I say, on the topography. It's very hilly. It's very rocky. Uh, if anyone's watched Clarkson's Farm, then you know about tram lines. I think we have a picture of some tram lines. Um, I loved watching Clarkson's Farm and seeing how badly Jeremy Clarkson did it, and then going for a walk with Andy through a, through a field saying, ah, you can see that this tram line is this long, and this one is this long, and this blah, 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 blah. That's not how it was in ancient Israel. They had to use the ground that was available, which was hilly and rocky, and it wasn't perfect. And so people would just walk along a path and throw. They don't know which soil is good. They don't know which is, good, uh, which is bad. There was a, a layer of bedrock very close to the surface, which seed could fall in and look like it's about to grow, but then die. They don't know which is which. They just know there's some soil here, so I'm going to sow. And so Jesus explains that there are four types of soils. The first one he mentions is the path. Now, of course, if you're just scattering very liberally, some seed is going to land on the path. It's not where the sower is necessarily aiming, but it ends up there. And the path, the path has no room, has no space for growth. It cannot receive that word. The word just bounces off it. The seed bounces off it. It doesn't embed itself in it. And so path people, if you like, would never even give the appearance of accepting the word. They'd never, uh, you'd never... Uh, be convinced that a path person might be a Christian. They don't have the appearance of accepting it or savoring it. And so they're kind of the first ones Jesus deals with. You sow the seed there and nothing happens. Okay, fair enough. The next three, however, are terrifying. The next three are not very easy to tell apart in the real world. The next three are not necessarily very easy to tell apart in our own lives, which is why I say they are terrifying. There are some who hear and love. They have a great emotional response. They are all in. They are full of joy, is what Jesus says. They receive it with joy. But that emotional response never finds its way burying into the will, into the mind, into a desire to honor God and to obey his law. It never finds into that love of God's law, which the psalmist in Psalm 119 talks about. How I love your ways, O Lord. How I delight to follow your precepts. The first soil doesn't ever get to that point. The testing comes and that emotional response has no foundation and they wither. The next thing we see is the thorny ground, where the seeds land there, and they grow well. Looks like there's good, steady growth, 
But what is also seen is that growing with it are thorns. Soon life's worries creep up the ladder of priority. What was once the priority, this relationship I have with the Lord, is now being crept up on by life's worries and pleasures, and gradually that passion dies. And what can look very gentle in real life, that gradual falling away, that gradual lack of desire for what we once loved, Jesus uses quite violent language to describe it. The thorns are choking out the life of these plants. It's not as though the thorns are passive. It's though they are aggressively trying to remove these plants which are growing. They make it so that no sunlight can reach these plants and gradually they start to wither. See, the thing is that plant needs to be fed. It needs sunlight. It needs air. It needs water. It needs to be tended. And the thorns have grown so much that it can't get what it needs. Now just think about that. That is so applicable in life. It's not just a a one day of, oh, I forgot to read my Bible. It's not just a one bad decision that pulls you away. It's the gradual choking. It's not feeding that plant. It's not allowing it the sunlight and the water and the food it needs that gradually kills it. We have to be tending the Christian life, growing in it, seeking to look more like Christ, seeking to know God more through his word. Finally, we see the good soil. And in this soil, the seed flourishes. It might be slow. It might not look very impressive. When you first sow a seed, you don't see anything for ages. But underneath, there's great movement and eventually it pops out. This is the good soil. It might be fast, but inevitably it will grow to a full plant. And as a full plant, it then disperses its own seeds. As I say, I don't know about you, but I find these three soils a terrifying reality. Questions like, which one am I? Because I I know of times in my life where I have let those thorns grow, where that plant has started to wither, where it's not had the sunlight it needs. I know of times where I've had this emotional response and been filled with joy, then in a few weeks' time, what was once there is now withering away. Am I putting down roots? This is the question that we all must be asking ourselves. How am I tending to myself? How am I tending to my plant? These are very practical questions for a Christian walk. Are we hearers and knowers, but not doers, for instance? The Bible calls us to know the word, but also to do the word. There are people with PhDs in theology who still cheat on their wives. I've recently been reading Pilgrim's Progress. And uh, I just recently passed the point where two characters, talkative and faithful, are having a conversation. So this is talkative and then the big pomp outfit and faithful standing next to him. And, And talkative, as the name might suggest, knows how to talk very well. Faithful, 
as the name would suggest, is faithful. And so they begin a conversation, and, and faithful is curious to know whether or not talkative's religion, which he talks about, which he's very big about, is all word and no deed. And he asks him, what is the evidence of the grace of God in your life? And talkative replies, well, to know, to know the mysteries of the gospel. And I, I love faithful's response. Just listen to what faithful says. He says, yea, if a man have all knowledge, he may yet be nothing. And so con- consequently be no child of God. When Christ said, do you know all these things? And the disciples answered, yes. He added, blessed are you if you do them. He does not lay the blessing in the knowing of them, but in the doing of them. There is a knowledge that is not attended with doing. He that knows his master's will and does not do it. A man may know like an angel and yet be no Christian. Indeed, to know is a thing that pleases talkers and boasters, but to do is that which pleases God. Not that the heart can be good without knowledge, for without that the heart is nothing. There are therefore two sorts of knowledge, knowledge that rests in bare speculation of things and knowledge that is accompanied with the grace of faith and love, which puts a man upon doing even the will of God from the heart. The first of these will serve the talker well enough, but without the other, the true Christian is not content. Without knowing, we cannot do, but to know and to hear merely is not what God is looking for. That's not the kind of plant that he rejoices in. What about comfort and safety versus obedience? This is the the great uh, one or the other that I think happens so often in the Christian life. There are Christians who are gathering today in Afghanistan knowing that it is probably neither comfortable nor safe, but they do it because they know that to be obedient is the greater thing. We almost never have to worry about our comfort or our safety being on the line when it comes to our obedience in this country. And yet somehow, so often, we manage to find a way to put them first. Which one is sacrificed first, comfort and safety or obedience? Do we receive the word with joy? Good. How deep does it go? Do the worries of the world choke you? Equally, for those who may be worrying, maybe I'm not good soil. I I can't see any fruit, any crops in myself Be encouraged by this. Good soil is not measured by how many flowers it has. Good soil is measured by its receptivity. Good flowers come as a result of good soil. Flowers come later. And they tell everyone else, this was good soil that received the seed. Maybe you can't see any fruit in your own life yet, but keep digging, keep tending Keep chewing on God's promises, on God's word. The good soil in the crowd hears Jesus' words, hears him say a bizarre story about something we all know. A farmer sows crops, some grow, some don't. They hear him say it, and they hear the rest of the crowd complain about his time-wasting, about the the lack of um, reward for all this anticipation, 
But the good soil hears it and says, no, I, I, I need to know what this means because I need Jesus. Jesus is happy with his blunt confidence because he knows that good soil hears the word and it bears fruit. Do you hear God's word this morning and say, I need Jesus? Because Jesus isn't going off on a tangent when he says this comment about parables in Luke 8 verse 10. Jesus believes what he says and he proves it. The seed is the word of God. And he believes this far more than I do. And he believes it far more than Andy does. And I know that because me and Andy get down from preaching, we often say to one another, I feel a bit self-conscious now. Jesus says something and just walks off. But the seed is the word of God. Jesus scatters and he leaves. As I say, it's easy to make the gospel palatable. It's easy to fill these seats. We could have this room absolutely full if we offered things that the gospel doesn't offer. But the seed is the word of God. I am merely a sower. We are all merely sowers. The only questions that we must ask as we leave here this morning are, what kind of soil am I showing myself to be? And where can I go and scatter? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you speak to us in your word. What a privilege it is, Lord. And Lord, we pray that as you scatter your seed among us, Lord, we pray that we would be good soil, that we would be receptive to hear what you have to say. Lord, teach us to have full confidence in that truth, that God is the one who gives salvation. The burden is not on us, Lord. You have decided to take the burden on yourself. Lord, let us find freedom in that truth. Let us be considered callous or bluntly confident, if necessary, to have that full confidence in the Word of God. Lord, if we are to make the gospel palatable, if we are to make our worship palatable, I pray that we would make it palatable to you. Do these things in our lives by your Holy Spirit, we pray, Lord. Amen.